This is Medical Matters, Insights into Current Issues in Health and Halacha with Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman and Hannah Evenchen. Hello and welcome to Medical Matters, an Eden Center podcast. I'm Hannah Evenchen and I'm very honored to be having this conversation today with Dr. Galper-Grossman. The Eden Center works to strengthen Jewish women and family life and promote the spiritual, emotional, physical, and sexual health of women and couples using the mikvah as a primary vehicle to attain those goals. Sharon Galper-Grossman is a radiation oncologist and former faculty member of Harvard Medical School, where she also obtained a master's in public health. She is a graduate of the Morot Halacha program for women's advanced halachic learning at Matan HaSharon. She writes and lectures on women's health and halacha and teaches for Matan, Machon Pu'ah, and the Eden Center, where she is the director of community health programming. So today's topic is called Things I Wish I Had Known About Before Going to the Doctor. And what we mean by that is that medicine and halacha tend to overlap at different places in our lives. And sometimes the more we know in advance, the better that we can be prepared to avoid certain complications. Today, we're going to specifically take a look at where medical procedures impact a woman's ability to go to the mikvah or her nida status. So hello, Sharon. Hello, Hannah. And we're going to jump into this um, exciting topic. Um, We're going to split it into two parts. The first part, we're going to talk about medical procedures that we plan in advance, that we schedule in advance, and what we might want to think about in terms of that when it comes to how that might impact NIDA or um, mikvah immersion. And then we're going to afterwards look separately at what happens when an emergency situation arises and some sort of medical procedure that we could not plan in advance. So if we're first looking at medical procedures that we do have the option to plan and to schedule, what kind of factors should we keep in mind? So I think when we talk about, when we think about scheduling medical procedures, we need to focus on two different uh, kinds of procedures procedures to the rest of the body and gynecological procedures because there really are different issues. When it comes to the rest of the body, non-gynecological procedures, the important issue is timing and really making sure that the procedure, if there's any possibility that it could interfere with going to the mikvah, that the procedure takes place after you've gone to the mikvah. So for example, if you have a choice between scheduling the procedure the day before you've gone to the mikvah or the day after you go to the mikvah, better to schedule it the day after you've gone to the mikvah so that, so that uh, it, you don't have, so that, that doesn't complicate, it doesn't complicate mikvah. Obviously I'm not suggesting to delay the treatment, delay the intervention, but if you have a choice of a day apart, it would be much simpler uh, to schedule the procedure the day after mikvah. And sorry, Yes, the day after mikvah. Uh, why would that be? Well, there are two issues. The first is that there may be um, some medical contraindication to getting wet, that immersing in water could introduce infection, and B, the procedure might actually leave you with a chatzitza, uh, a barrier, which would potentially invalidate immersion in the mikvah. Maybe we can um, pause for a minute, and can you please explain to us what is uh, considered a chatzitza and what kinds of things might complicate 
uh, immersion? Sure. So according to the Torah law, any object which covers the majority of the body, which a woman would typically remove, is considered a chatzitza and would interfere with immersion. According to rabbinic law, any object of any size that a woman would typically remove is considered a chatzitza. And so what that means potentially is that any object of any size that one would take off would be problematic. So a ring, for example, that I keep on all the time, but I take off just to knead dough would be considered a chatzitza. And so potentially any kind of medical device, medical manipulation that leaves something on the surface of the skin would pose a problem. And that means that stitches would potentially pose a problem. Uh, staples would potentially pose a problem. Um, anything that could be on the skin, drains, uh, bandages, pus would potentially be a problem. Creams you have to think about also. Uh, and so really, if, if you can avoid having these things on your skin, when it's time to go to the mikvah, it would simplify things dramatically. There's also the potential issue of immersing in water. And so if there's a wound, your doctor might advise you to stay out of water for, for a week or two after the procedure to prevent infection. So even if there, there uh, were no chatzitza issue, even if potentially you um, had a halachic advisor tell you it's fine, you can immerse in the water with whatever it is on your skin, you would still need to check with your doctor that that's medically okay. Okay, so just to review, if I have a procedure that needs to be done, um, I could have a problem immersing because the area can't get wet or it could potentially cause infection. And I also might have a problem if there is something that is considered a chatzitza like some sort of glue or stitches or bandaging that I can't remove. Does it depend on what exact type of stitches are put in? Are there questions that would be useful for me to ask um, and ask them to do this kind of stitches as opposed to that kind of stitches? Um, are there, is it possible that if I ask the right questions, I could avoid the complication even if I have the procedure done? So of course, uh, the more we know as patients, the, the, better, the better off we are in general. Um, and it's important to ask the doctor exactly what will be done, uh, what manipulation will be, what your limitations will be after the procedure is done. And can, you go, can I go into the water uh, after the procedure? And then there is more fine tuning, which may sound a little bit like micromanaging your own healthcare, but in many ways is empowering and, um, and allows you to, to, to take an active role and really you know, do, what, do what you can to minimize the amount, number of days that you end up in NIDA. And that is to talk about the, the nitty gritty details of stitches. If you're going to need stitches, ask, you know, what kind of stitches will I have? Will they be dissolvable stitches or will they be removable stitches? The halachic advantage of dissolvable stitches is that they dissolve uh, so they, they don't, they're not removed and they're not 
they're, they're not considered a chatzitza because a woman wants them to be there. She wants them to remain there. The same thing can be said about glue, which we'll get to a little bit later when we talk about uh, medical emergencies and going to the emergency room. But it's certainly reasonable to ask the doctor, will I have dissolvable stitches or will I have removable stitches? Uh, because dissolvable stitches will obviate this issue of chatzitza, whereas removable ones are more problematic. Um, and the decision of whether the doctor will go ahead with dissolvable or removable really depends on the, the area that's involved in the body. Dissolvable stitches are usually used for more internal suturing. Uh, removable is for external. Dissolvable are more likely to be used for areas that are not low tension, that don't get a lot of use, whereas removable would be on the skin surface, uh, typically it also in an area like a joint space. It also depends on the physician's level of expertise and really just what's available. But for, for surgeries, you'd have internal stitches, you're more likely to have internal stitches. And uh, for cuts and, and wounds, removable ones. And so that's the first question. Will I have dissolvable or removable stitches? And it's very reasonable to ask, well, can I just have dissolvable? And the doctor may say no. Uh, and it may not be appropriate in that setting, but at least at least you've asked, at least you know. It also um, is very important where specifically the stitches might be. So for example, if the stitches are on the surface of your body, that's, that's, uh, that poses more of a halachic challenge than if the stitches are internal. If they're in the cervix, for example, or if they're in the mouth, in the gums, uh, these are hidden areas where there's more, where there's more flexibility uh, from a halachic perspective on potential chatzitza. So, for example, um, stitches in the cervix would not be a chatzitza, uh, and there's some poskim who say that stitches stitches in the gum are also not a chatzitza, as opposed to on the surface of the skin. Correct. So, you know, the things we need to ask are: Can I get them wet? Can I get wet? Uh, how long will what? Where will I have stitches? Uh, if I have stitches, how long do they need to be in? And um, what kind of stitches will I have? These are all important pieces of information to gather when you go for your medical consultation um, before, before you schedule your appointment. Right. Wow. Wow. Very important to know. And I also do want to relate to something you mentioned at the very beginning, which I think is, uh, is worthwhile to reiterate. And that is that we're not ever encouraging people to put their medical care at risk or to compromise their medical care. Uh, if something needs to be done, it needs to be done. And sometimes that poses uh, a complication or an inconvenience in terms of NIDA and in terms of immersion. Um, but we're talking about when we do have the flexibility and it is okay medically to choose the timing of a procedure. Um, and I also wanted to mention that just as, as you said, Sharon, that the more information you have um, about the medical procedure, then you can check it out halachically. And the reverse is also true. In other words, if you know that you need to schedule something, you can also talk to whoever you consider to be your halachic uh, authority or a yoetzer halacha and gather information and get guidance on what questions you might want to be asking the medical professional when you meet. And you can really try to come well-equipped from both ends 
and um, and try to have the information, the medical information inform the halachic side and the halachic information inform the medical side. Um, just going back to something you mentioned now about what to ask the doctor, you mentioned about the length of time that the stitches will be in. Does that make a difference uh, in terms of a chatzitza, how, how long it's actually going to be part of your body? Yes, that does. And that's something that posts can take into consideration. Something that's um, on the surface of the body, that's gonna, stitches that are going to stay in for less than a week uh, would be more likely to be considered a chatitza than something that's going to stay in for several weeks. Uh, and so again, that's why it's so important to ask your doctor to know in advance, how long are we talking about? Are we talking about a, a short a short interval or are we talking about a long interval? And it has ramifications for, for two reasons. First, because if this object is gonna be on the surface of your body for a very long time, that would mean that um, you would be us or you'd be separated from your husband for an extended period of time, which just may be unbearable. Uh, and the other reason is that the longer it stays on your body, the more we can say that the woman wants it there and, uh, and the, less, the less likely she is to want it to be removed. Mm. And so what I think what we're, what we're suggesting is um, that, as you said, not to delay your treatment, not to delay procedures. So what we're talking about is a more medically knowledgeable patient and a more halachically knowledgeable patient. Okay, so at the beginning, Sharon, you said that we were going to discuss um, gynecology separate from medical procedures that take place on the rest of the body. So now let me ask you, if um, a woman needs to schedule some sort of a gynecological exam, what might be the issues, what might be her concerns, and what should she be aware of? So really, gynecological procedures introduce a whole other set of issues, because not only uh, do we have the issue of, can she immerse in water medically, is there a risk of an infection, but also the possibility that the procedure might make her need a uh, from two perspectives. A, it might cause bleeding either during or after the procedure that can't be attributed to non-traumatic causes or trauma, sorry, non-uterine causes or trauma uh, from the procedure. And the second reason that a gynecological procedure could render a woman nita is that when the uterus is opened, a procedure opens up the uterus, even when we don't see any blood, that procedure makes a woman nita. Uh, and the question is how much? How much does the uterus have to be opened? One common opinion is that an instrument that is, not, that is 19 millimeters wide that's inserted into um, a cervix would render a woman nita. And so it's important to keep all of this in mind when scheduling a procedure. So, so so that's pretty overwhelming. That's a, that's a lot of information. So I'd like to just break it down into what things you should ask your doctor and how we approach uh, scheduling gynecological procedures based on what's being done and where you are in your cycle. So if you're going to the doctor, you're going to your gynecologist and she says, I, you need to have a specific procedure done. Uh, it's, it's important to ask, well, is the procedure going to make me bleed? And if it's going to make me bleed, for how long will I be bleeding? If, a, if she's done the procedure, 
taken a biopsy? Where was the biopsy taken from? What areas were manipulated? Uh, and also, also um, if there was some instrumentation and the you, she used something to open up the uterus, how wide was that instrument? Uh, I actually had an endometrial biopsy in Boston with a gynecologist who had no idea whatsoever uh, anything about Tarada Mishpachal, Laws and Nida. And as she's about to do the procedure, she didn't tell me in advance she was doing this. Um, I, I said to her, well, can you tell me what the what the width is of the instrument you're about to use. She thought it was crazy, but I was asking her this because I know that I knew that that was important in terms of would this make me Anita? Uh, and then of course, can you immerse in water after the procedure? Which is also a very interesting question. Uh, there are some gynecologists who will say after any kind of intervention that, um, manipulates the or, or dilates the uterus uh, you can't go in the water you can't because going in the water might introduce infection which will uh, which will go up ascend the vaginal canal and and cause an infection and so there's some gynecologists who will say stay out of water for two weeks after the procedure uh, and then there's some gynecologists that won't. I have a gynecologist in Israel who takes care of me and a gynecologist in America. And the gynecologist in America has told me she just doesn't, you know, that she doesn't, she's not very careful about uh, people getting in the water after she's done different procedures. Whereas the gynecologist in Israel is very sensitive to that issue. So uh, this is a little bit of art, the art of medicine and, and, it's important to ask what the, doc the doctor's recommendation is because it could influence whether or not you can get to the mikvah. If you have the procedure done the day before you're scheduled to go to the mikvah and suddenly, boom, your doctor tells you you can't go in water for two weeks, that's it's created quite a problem independent of the issue. Did the procedure cause me to bleed uh, or make me a nida because there was dilation of the uterus? Mm. And so... And so it's really important to do all our homework before we've had our procedures, uh, A, so that we know, and B, so that we can talk to a halachic authority to give us advice, how to approach this, to minimize the amount of time that we're in NIDA and the chances of becoming NIDA. Also really important um, to, that, that women know that they should not ask the doctor if they saw blood. There's, we're under no obligation to, to ask if the doctor saw blood. Uh, if you're curious, that's, that's one thing, but just to understand that from a NIDA perspective, there is no obligation to check. If the doctor says that he or she saw blood, uh, ask, you can ask where they saw it specifically, what they thought the source was, details about it. And also if they tell you that they saw blood on the, on their gloves or on the instrument, also gather more information. So when should we schedule these things in our cycles? When is it best? Again, if, if, if all things are equal and it's a difference of a day or two here or there, and it's not going to compromise your care in any way, shape, or form, then ideally try to have certain procedures done during when you're after you've gone to the mikvah, because after you've gone to the mikvah until uh, you approach your next cycle, you're presumed not to be in nida. And uh, there's more halachic 
room for leniency if you do see blood after a procedure. Try to avoid scheduling procedures during Shibanakim, during the seven clean days, because it will be quite hard. It might be hard to get a good, um, it might make decode much more complicated, especially for Ashkenazim uh, who are more who are more strict about the first three days of Shibanakim. And also try to avoid scheduling exams if possible uh, during the days when you anticipate your period when, when you need to do a bedika. What about those procedures that might lead to dilation of the uterus uh, and put you into nida even when you don't see blood? So again, if you can avoid it, try to avoid doing that before you need, try to schedule it actually around uh, when you are already in nida uh, before you've done a hefsek tara. And if you're doing any of these things that might make you bleed during Shivanakim, uh, which is really, which can be really challenging and make it hard to get a good bedika, try to do a bedika the day of the procedure before before you've done the procedure, so you'll get a, you can get a clean bedika, and then and then you may need to avoid doing uh, bedika later in the day or uh, the next day or several days afterwards. The, remember, the minimum amount of bedika are day one and seven, and ideally a middle day as well, in case you can't get a good bedika on the seventh day, or in case you forget to do one on the seventh day, so that you don't need to reset the clock and start all over again. And then, and then, really, truly. Don't assume automatically that um, something makes you a nida. Don't assume automatically that something is a chatzitza. Uh, and don't assume automatically that whatever you think made you nida suddenly now goes and cancels out all of shivanakim. So just ask. Uh, just ask someone that you're comfortable asking uh, to make sure that you're not, you're not being um, more stringent on yourself than you need to be. That is because such an important message. That's a really important message because uh, our lives are made up of so many different factors. So first of all, I really appreciate what you just said, Sharon. Of don't don't assume. Oh, I just saw something that looks like blood. I must now be Nida. Or but gather the information and then ask and find out. Um, and also, we don't. You know, we could want to schedule an appointment for a certain time, and we all know that we don't always get to schedule appointments for exactly when we want to. And it could be that we're not able to schedule in the way that we were advised to halachically. And then we deal the best we can with, you know, with the, the results of that exam and the information that we're given. But also um, what you're saying uh, in terms of ask, and you're asking someone that you're comfortable asking and someone that you trust as a halachic authority. And halacha is a multifaceted world and there are many factors. And it's not, it's not black and white and, and there will be a halachic decision. And sometimes it's a decision that's easier for us to um, um, absorb. And sometimes it could be a decision that's a little more challenging, but there can be other factors in terms of your cycle and your schedule and other things you might be struggling with or dealing with or travel schedules. And it's always worthwhile to ask and put it all out there and have somebody take it all in consideration and then move on from there as best we can. Yes, I, I think that um, that that in many ways it's very difficult to control when things get scheduled. We we all know that. We know how challenging it is to navigate the healthcare system, 
So in an ideal world, we could pick the date, the time, the hour that we have our procedures done, and they would work out perfectly with our with our um, cycle and perfectly with uh, Nida and Mikva. But it unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way. And and if it doesn't work out that way, then then you know there then you will have the information and tools that are necessary to figure out how to deal with it and to ask questions so that so that you figure out how to move forward and deal with the less than ideal situation. Right, right. Even our cycles don't always cooperate with our cycles. So <laughs> there could be a lot of factors that we can't fully control. Um, and I do want to, uh, to remind us all that we're putting this out there as uh, to plant a seed, to raise our awareness, so that maybe we'll think of asking this question. Maybe we'll remember to, you know, to, to keep certain things in mind when we're scheduling, but not from a place of thinking that we should feel guilty or that we did something wrong if we didn't take every single thing in consideration. Uh, you know, everything is, is, is very complex and there are a lot of things we need to consider. So no one's going to ever remember every single thing and plan it exactly in accordance with um, with every single guideline, but we're putting this out there so that, you know, maybe, maybe somebody will remember. And that one question that she remembers to ask, um, will be useful and helpful and practical, or maybe we'll encourage people to, to ask even after the fact and not make assumptions that they now can't go to the mikvah or have to wait. Um, yeah. So I think Hannah, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, but I think what's so important, and I know you said this already, but I'm just going to reemphasize it, which is the importance of asking questions, both of the doctor and of your halakhic authority, and gather your information and then and then ask the appropriate person, but not to sit at home and just assume anything at all. Yeah. Whether you are whether whether you are permitted or prohibited or just there, there's there's so many we're really so fortunate that we live in a time when there's so many resources available to women uh with questions related to Tarana Mishpacha with questions related to Nita and that that it behooves us to to take advantage of those and and use them and work with them yeah absolutely absolutely uh, now we alluded to the idea that we can't always be in control of factors. So let's jump over to the the other scenario that unfortunately sometimes there are medical emergencies, and uh, we find ourselves in the emergency room, you know, getting a cast on our arm, or I, I don't know what what can you tell us about emergency situations? Is there anything that um, is useful for us to kind of keep in the back of our mind or try to remember to ask what kind of situations might come up? So if we have very little control over scheduling our elective procedures, we clearly <laughs> have no control scheduling our trips to the emergency room. Um, I, I love telling my kids on, on Friday afternoon, I don't have time to go to the emergency room today. And <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Uh, that's a good we haven't needed to do that. Maybe that's because my husband is an emergency medicine doctor and emergency and the emergency room comes home on Friday afternoon. But anyway, it, it's very, obviously we can't plan for these things. And when they do happen, we don't have the presence to think, you know, what should I ask? What can I do? Oh, and I'm going to the mikvah in 10 days. 
uh, I need to keep that in mind. Presence of mind is, it's, it's the last thing on the list that we're thinking about, but again, just to plant the seed. So people have all kinds of reasons that they'll end up in the emergency room that could create potential mikvah problems. They get cuts, they get burns, they get scrapes, they get wounds that require suturing and bandages and glue and creams and staples and casts. So we talked a little bit about sutures and the halakhic issues around sutures. Uh, and the issue of dissolvable versus um, removable. And again, uh, a woman who's really, really, really thinking ahead and knows she needs to go to the mikvah in the next two weeks might ask for dissolvable stitches. Uh, don't, you know, the doctor may not necessarily accommodate her request, but you can certainly ask. Uh, but emergency room has another issue that which she didn't talk about yet, and that's glue. And so doctors will often uh, use glue to, to, um, re to reconnect, to seal up a cut. And they'll do it. There are many advantages to glue. It's faster. It doesn't require you to come back uh, to have the stitches removed. And actually it has some halakhic advantages as well, which is that because the glue um, kind of dissolves into the woman's body, it becomes, it, it's not removed, it stays on her body and merges into her body. She doesn't want it removed. And so it's not um, considered a chatitza. Now, if you needed to uh, immerse with the glue on, you still on, you would want to make sure that the areas outside the wound don't have any like drops of glue that the doctor accidentally um, did left there and like a, maybe God forbid if it was a sloppy, a sloppy job. So you'd scrub as best you could to remove those areas. But the glue itself in the wound is not a chatzitza. Now, there is another issue though, even though it's not a chatzitza, the doctor might tell you not to get it wet. So on the one hand, it's not, there. you could tovel with the glue, but you need to make sure that medically that's okay. Um, and then, then we have the issue of casts. So casts are, are really pose a, a major halachic question. There are two different kinds of casts. First of all, they're, they're on the surface of the skin and they cover a large part of whatever area is being casted. Not the whole body, but, but they're, not, they're not insignificant. Uh, and there are two kinds of casts. There are those that are made out of plaster that have the advantage that they, um, they, they're, they're placed on the bone and they're, they're, before they harden, they're very soft, so they're malleable and can really fit the area that they are casting. But they have the disadvantage that they're heavy and they can't get wet. And if they get wet, they will crumble up and disintegrate. There is another kind of cast, which is made out of plastic. In Israel, it's called the magic cast. And it has the advantage that it's lighter and it can get wet in water. And so the question is, what happens if the doctor puts a cast on? Generally, a cast is going to stay on for quite a few weeks. Uh, what happens if you have to go to the mikvah with the cast on? And so... The halakhic authorities have a wide range of opinions on the matter. There are those who say you the cast is a chatzitza and you cannot uh, immerse in water and immerse in the mikvah with it. 
And even if that means that the husband and wife will need to be separated for an extended period of time, it's a chatzitza, she cannot go to the mikvah. There are, so what do you do? So there are options. The first option is to maybe have your cat, ask if your cast can come off early. But the problem with that is that it will, it can lead to pain and bones may move and it might interfere with your healing and it might need, lead to the swelling. So not necessarily a great medical idea. The other option is to ask if it can um, be removed temporarily. Uh, and then the third option is to have it taken off early, which again is not, not medically the best thing to do either. And so there are post game who will allow women to, um, under extenuate very specific circumstances, will allow women to immerse in the mikvah with a plaster cast. Uh, and then the question is, well, since it can't get wet, can she cover the plaster cast with nylon? Can she not cover it with nylon? How does that work? So if they're stuck and there's no other option, uh, really you need to, the best thing is to ask a halakhic authority, can I immerse with this plaster cast? Must I wait? Uh, what are my options? And in terms of gathering information, it's important to ask the doctor how long it will need to be in place. But then there is this other option. If um, one kind of knows about it, it could be very helpful. And that is the plaster cast. And so if one has enough presence of mind. Uh, in fiberglass. The Sorry, a fiberglass cast. Yes, one has enough presence of mind in the, in the orthopedic clinic or in the emergency room can ask for a fiberglass cast. Uh, and the advantages of that are that it's water, it's water permeable, which means that water can pass through it. There's an inner layer of padding that um, allows water to pass through as well. And it won't, it won't disintegrate in the water. It won't become destroyed. It can withstand going in the water. Mahon Pua actually did an experiment to determine if um, this, if the cast, the fiberglass cast, allows water to transmit through it, and to determine whether a woman could immerse in the mikvah. Now, for it to be okay, all the water has to reach cover cover the whole body at the same moment, and the water has to penetrate the cast at a level of wetness that is sufficient not only to wet another object, but to have that second object be able to wet a third object. So they did an experiment and they took, uh, they took some per someone's arm and someone's leg and casted them along the joint, along the, along the thumb where there are lots and lots of folds, and then on the foot, on the bottom of the foot, and wanted to find out if they stuck these casted limbs in a jar of beet juice, would the beet juice transmit through the cast, through the padding to the skin layer? Would the entire layer of skin that was underneath the cast be stained from the beet juice? And they found that on the hand, the whole, the water transmitted through the padding, that the skin was covered and it was wet enough to not only wet another object, but for that other object to wet a third object. 
And the same thing for the foot, although there was one spot, uh, two spots right at the top that didn't, that the water didn't transmit so well through. And they assumed that if they, the person had a little bit, uh, it would have gone through because areas deeper in, further along, uh, had gotten wet. And so based on these experiments, Mahon Pua uh, turned to postgame, to several postgame, who permit immersion in the mikvah with this fiberglass cast, uh, without any question. And so this is really important to know about. Sometimes it's not possible to get this, uh, but if, if, if someone remembers, someone you know remembers, uh, it could be very helpful. Yeah, definitely sounds like a really good um, piece of information to keep in mind, the difference between a plaster cast and a fiberglass cast. Is there ever a situation from a medical perspective that a cast can be changed, even just for convenience, uh, from plaster to fiberglass during a treatment? So that's something that you, that, uh, you certainly could ask your orthopedist and uh, find out if that was a possibility. That would also be one way of dealing with this. So the options are to take it off early, which isn't, which isn't a great idea. Uh, another option is to take it off just to Toval in the mikvah, which again is potentially problematic. Another option is to take it off early, but see if there's an alternative that could be used that could be put on after the mikvah and then, and then even switching uh, to the fiberglass if possible. Right. Because as we said, we're talking about emergency situations and it's also possible that you end up at a clinic that doesn't have the, all the options to offer you or has different policies. And then once you have the time to uh, do the research and ask the questions, you know, perhaps certain things are, uh, are options that weren't necessarily offered in that first moment. Um, so, wow, that is, that is a lot of really helpful information, Sharon, about, we talked about medical procedures that we schedule uh, stitches and other factors that might come up, information we might like to gather about what exactly needs to be done medically and um, how, how that will impact us in terms of immersion in water and uh, things that will remain on the body for a certain amount of time, like stitches. Um, we talked about gynecological exams and things to be aware of in terms of scheduling that. And then now the emergency, which uh, God willing that no one should need, but that if something does come up, we should be equipped with the information that might be, that could be helpful to us. Um, I also would love for you to tell us a little bit about the resource that Merkaz Eden put together specifically about uh, someone who it has undergone surgery for breast cancer and mikvah. Uh, can't remember exactly when, um, when we celebrated the publication of this pre-corona. Let's, let's date it that way. Right. But before corona. That's BC. Uh, <laughs> before corona, um, Eden published two books, uh, first for mikvah attendants on um, breast cancer issues and the mikvah. And then because, and, and then women, uh, another booklet for women with breast cancer or women who uh, carried a BRCA mutation and were going through, were, were facing that diagnosis and going through uh, potential interventions to help guide them through mikvah. Uh, and that resource 
deals with a lot of the issues we've talked about today in terms of uh, surgery and different surgical interventions that could potentially interfere with going to the mikvah, such as stitches, such as glue, such as um, uh, uh, pus and wounds uh, and drains. And really it's a topic for an entire podcast um, in and of itself. And actually Merkaz Eden is working on another booklet to um, guide women with other cancers, not just breast cancer, through the mikvah and some of the issues related to going to the mikvah that they may struggle with. Wow, it's a really amazing resource and uh, we encourage people to reach out to the Eden Center if they feel it could be helpful to them. It's called Tikvat HaTehara and um, and uh, feel free to reach out if you'd like more information about that. So Sharon, before we close this topic for now, because there's always more to talk about, um, any parting um, words of advice or important ideas that you think people should know? Well, Hannah, I feel like uh, we end almost every podcast with this, but truly, truly knowledge is power, whether it's medical knowledge, uh, or halachic knowledge and turning to our halachic authorities to um, better understand what we're doing and how it impacts upon us and um, our performance of mitzvot and how it impacts upon us in terms of tarat mishpacha. Well, I have definitely gained a lot of very valuable knowledge in this conversation. So thank you very much, Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman. And uh, thank you to all our listeners, wishing everybody good health and no emergency room visits. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. You've been listening to Medical Matters, insights into current issues in health and halacha with Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman and Hannah Evenchen. This podcast is an Eden Center production. To learn more about our work, check out our website at www.theedencenter.com.